Hello and welcome to The Nerd Alternative, a sweet melting pot of all things nerdy. Today you're joined by me, Ram, and I feel like you always do intros and I don't. I just say, and... Levi is here today, yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and... Right, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> um so today we're excited to have one of our special guest episodes um we're joined by tim barnes who will be talking to you about his new episode which is on comedy central called maurice on mars um tim barnes is a comedian a television writer and a podcaster with writing credits from uh, tonight's show starring jimmy fallon under his belt as well as writing for nickelodeon comedy central digital and so much more um, yeah, I feel like you've done like everything. <laughs> so it's yes. kind of hard to like write an intro. Multitude of talents. Yeah, you can um, kind of choose your own adventure, I feel like. Yeah, which uh, is very exciting. happy to, to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to our little bubble space, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, I I guess the first question that we want to kind of ask you before we get into the show, um, we always ask everyone what their like origin story is. Mm, <laughs> and you can take yeah. this however you want but I guess um more focused on like your journey as a writer or a comedian like where did that come from what was the the moment the moment well I think I can I can I can kind of crystallize the the writing moment for me in elementary school I was uh, I grew up in south central LA I was a pretty sheltered kid wasn't allowed to go like around the block or anything so oh, I loved you. <laughs> yeah just and I, it's not it was like I wasn't allowed to but I also like didn't want to go outside at the same time it's that beautiful combination of things my favorite thing was to go to the movies and dive into books and television and I became obsessed with like truly the Power Rangers felt like a discovery to me I don't know if you have the Power Rangers and oh oh yeah okay okay <laughs> it was like uh, I, I just feel like I discovered the channel that it came on and I got obsessed with it and I, me and my friends in elementary school were obsessed with it. And I truly feel like my first writer's room was with like my friend, my friends Leonard and Wyvern in, uh, uh, in elementary school. We would, uh, we would write episodes of the Power Rangers and come up with villains. And I remember once like we had designed this villain on the back of this uh, homework sheet. And I had to like beg my mom to scan this homework sheet before <laughs> I turned it in so that we could keep it and keep designing our characters and stuff like that. And um, that spark kind of stayed with me. Like I remember my first goals in life were really to be a mad scientist because I had read the novelization of the Robin Williams version of Flubber before it came out. Oh my God, and I love like that. My, I wanted to invent Flubber, but uh, math was so difficult for me. So that's when I realized, oh, I think I want to invent Flubber because of movies and things like this. And so I dived into wanting to be a filmmaker. I think I still will, uh, you know, at some point start getting into the film production side of things again. Um, and then I got into stand-up comedy, uh, moved to Chicago, uh, really uh, dived into that scene there, really loved it. Uh, then moved to, to New York and I was like doing comedy plus, plus doing behind the scenes production work of like podcast production and stuff like that and then I slowly whittled away uh you know my resume so that it looked more like reflected the things that I wanted to do so uh like went from podcasting to be a web being a web producer for season one of Wyatt Snack's HBO show Problem Areas to being a, a digital write, sketch writer at Comedy Central to getting my first staff writing job on the reboot of all that on Nickelodeon to getting a staff writer job at Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, mm -hmm. uh, all during the pandemic. Uh, never met him in person, never stepped foot in 30 Rock, never met 99% of my coworkers for a year and a half. And then uh, uh, writing for a sitcom on Nickelodeon called Warped. And uh, all in the last uh, two years or so, I've been working on this cartoon that's out now. Is a journey. <laughs> That's crazy. That's really the most concise I've ever said it. I'm I mean, actually very like, proud of myself. Yeah, no, that was very concise. I feel like I can see the. <laughs> I personally really relate to the Flubber comment because I used to watch Flubber like every day as a child, and I rewatched it as an adult, and I was like, I'm having like flashbacks. Like I can see myself <laughs> as a child watching this, and I told my dad, and he was like, Yeah, I used to watch this every day. It um, was so fun. These yeah. sentient little uh, blobs of goo that. Uh, yeah. 
I guess uh, there is something, I'm sure there's a Freudian take on Flubber that, uh, that I'm afraid to explore. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to know what. what yeah, I, let's not talk about that. Um, I, I, I have like three hours. Let's dive in. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you like move, you've talked about like the different locations that you were in, like Chicago and New York. Like, is have those specific like areas ever had like an impact on your work um I don't really know how to explain it necessarily but it's like I know that over here like London is like the busy making kind of place um mm. what is the vibe I guess in it's like very influential yeah, what's yeah. the vibe in in Chicago versus New York versus well I feel like you grew up in LA but did you do that much work in LA <laughs> I didn't really know I I think only now I, I go back for certain certain writing jobs and it's the first time that I feel like I'm truly exploring what it means to exist in LA but uh Chicago they call it the second city because it's like it's a big city that people kind of forget to talk about when it's because it's not on either coast and I think that's uh <laughs> that's kind of what makes it great that's why so much great comedy comes out of it it's a it's a city that's kind of uh on an island of its own and it's also a very specific city because it's hyper segregated uh, and there is gentrification, but the change doesn't happen as fast as it happens in LA or New York. So you'll just be in a neighborhood that has for decades been a Polish neighborhood and, and that kind of thing. And it's split between you know the North and the South side, the South side, it's a lot of uh, a, a, a major black population uh, from the great migration from the South to Chicago. And it's all horrible. The segregation is horrible. Okay. But comedy wise, you get to learn how to entertain so many different types of people because of that segregation. <laughs> and I think that people who come out of that system in Chicago, they're, they're so, they're so skilled because they know how to make the hipsters in Logan square laugh. They know how to make the people you know, the old school black uh, audience on the South side laugh. They know how to make the, the younger kids on the South side laugh. It's, um, it's just the greatest, the greatest school. And um, New York is, I'm still figuring it out. It changes so fast. I feel like every time I say a neighborhood, I'm, I realize I'm saying the fake new name of the neighborhood because it oh used to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I truly feel like uh, it's an issue I've had my whole life where because, especially because I was so sheltered, I don't have any uh, any pride about location. I'm very like locationally detached. I don't, just cause I'm from LA and I'm not gonna walk around in an LA Lakers jersey. Mm. Uh, and I find all of that kind of thing to be kind of strange. So <laughs> I do I do consider myself like a, uh, I don't know, just like not tethered to a, yeah, yeah. Creatively nomadic. <laughs> a drifter. A drifter. Yes, yeah. a drifter, there we not go. Nothing wrong with that. Um... I don't want to feel like I'm hogging all the questions that you can ask. Oh, okay. So I just, uh, I'm drinking, well, I'm drinking my coffee. Um, what is it? Um, I guess when it comes to comedy, I suppose um, there is sort of a point you try to make of like creating your own identity. But I just wanted to ask, like, is there any comedians that you kind of felt inspired by? Um, you said that you was doing kind of, you felt like you wanted to be a writer before you was you kind of got into comedy was there any sort of comedian that kind of kind of jump-started your career in that direction almost yeah there's uh there's a few and uh it's kind of the the hardest question to ask the day, these days because we learn that so many famous people are are horrible and uh and now I'm at this phase where it's like oh it's embarrassing to say that you know <laughs> I was influenced by Woody Allen but I really <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I really, really sort of like specifically his character, Alvy Singer in Annie Hall uh, was someone like the first time I saw that movie, um, I identified with the flashbacks of that character when he was younger saying like, what's the point? The universe is expanding. Why do I care about, why do I care about this? And uh, Annie Hall was also oddly one of his more class conscious movies whereas it feels like as years went by he was a really into these people who exist in the one percent but his character in that film felt um this tension with uh his his uh basically immigrant family and the the waspy uh things that he aspired to and that kind of played out throughout the film uh 
but specifically like standup wise, um, Richard Pryor, I got into, uh, I got into him really, like I, I always thought it was funny and everyone in my family would talk about him, but I really genuinely got into him just because when I first started going out, sneaking out to open mics without telling anybody I'm going to open mics or anything, he was the closest example of me just seeing someone who literally looked close to me <laughs> on stage. Like he had an Afro, he was light and he had a mustache and I had a mustache. And so I would literally watch him specifically because like that's the closest vision of me on, uh, on screen. Uh, so I would study his, his mannerisms and stuff like that. Uh, uh, George Carlin, big one, cause I grew up very religious. And I remember just seeing it was like a ray of light in the in the bookstore when I saw this book called When Will Jesus Bring the Pork Chops? And I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I somehow got my dad to buy this book for me without question. And it was like it was so meticulously written. It would every page would make me laugh out loud. And then when I started, uh, I think I started like just downloading his albums off of LimeWire back when that was a thing. And it was, I realized that his, his standup was just as specific as the things he wrote down, if not exactly the things that will make you laugh on paper are exactly what he's saying out loud. He's such a specific writer. And I, um, he was a big inspiration in that way as well. He, he has like such a specific comedic voice as well. Like you could pick out a George Carlin joke from a lineup. Like if someone gave you like a handful of George Carlin jokes, you would instantly know who he is and it's like a different like i i i definitely like attach myself to more writerly sort of stand-up comedians mm. and uh i think you'll find a lot of comedians who are in this the same camp as myself we are so jealous of comedians who can do act outs and really embody characters on stage like i can never do what richard Pryor does or necessarily what a bernie mac does and they're so funny and what i i always think about it, it's so fascinating to me is that you cannot read a Richard Pryor joke for the most part on paper and laugh in the same way. You definitely cannot read a Bernie Mac joke on paper and laugh in the same way. It'll just seem like complete gibberish. Uh, and so there's this like beautiful um, like alchemy for, for certain comedians who, who are, it's clearly like a lot of writing in there, but it's something else that really sparks on stage that uh, makes audiences like go crazy. And stand up itself is, weird it's weird to say a series of words in a combination that makes people emit a sound out of their body uh and to try to do that every 30 seconds or so it's a bizarre thing it's it's pretty weird at some point like i have such great admiration for people who do stand-up comedy because i'm just like i think i would die on the spot if no one laughed. Like, like one of the things i hate about the joker film is when he does the like oh no I can't I just it makes me really uncomfortable when he just starts <laughs> saying all those jokes that aren't funny and I just anyway uh yeah, yeah I'm not um, <laughs> <laughs> um when in doubt pun harder that's, that's, that's yeah really... but even then sometimes yeah. I just Okay. What I learned is that usually the thing that is embarrassing is when the audience can tell that you wanted what you just said to get a laugh. Oh, no. And <laughs> sort of a trick is just to like keep going as if what you said, you never expected a laugh. And that's just a <laughs> sentence leading up to the next laugh. And that's, uh, that's the fine balance that I, I try to try to ride all the time. That is a good tip. So anyone who's <laughs> going to do stand up, you, you know what you need to be doing. I'm just going to start um, tapping my mic after every joke I make now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess um, one of the things that really interests me about comedy is um, how often people kind of dismiss it, even though I think it's like the easiest way to talk to people um, or to get a point across or to like comment on like things happening in our society. Um I feel like nowadays it's very divisive. <laughs> um, there's a lot of like, I mean, I don't want to just say like council culture or like PC culture or whatever, but there's a lot of conversation about like the form that comedy should take and what jokes are okay and what jokes are not okay. Um, what would you say is kind of your opinion on the state of comedy nowadays and people's, <laughs> I know that's like a really big question. It is a, it is a big one. And it's kind of like hard not to think about all the time. I don't think that like, 
woke culture, cancel culture, or any of that is, um, it's, I don't think any of that is even necessarily new. I think we've always had these discussions uh, since the dawn of time. And uh, a comedian's job is to just uh, deal with it, is, is, is to um, be able to navigate everything that's in our culture and hopefully make people laugh. And I think we're in this era where everything is so specific and siloed that um, comedians have to either adapt to the, the new world that's emerging or stick to their, their camp and just make them laugh, which is what a lot of people are doing. And I think uh, when it's, and then there, it just seems like there's a market for being the comedian who's frustrated about it. <laughs> and um, that is, is kind of strange to me, um, especially when it's like, bigger comedians. And I, I think, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle is a very funny person. I don't, I don't agree with uh, the, you know, the, the thing he, you know, the, the, the thing he's, he's like, uh, yeah, he's so obsessed with, with poking at <laughs> yeah, certain yeah. things over and over again. And um, he is someone who is so famous that he could just release a special on his website that people download and make a ton of money, but he is engaging in the capitalistic element of it. Like he is getting a million dollars from Netflix to do this and then getting angry about the, the backlash of it. And that is the fuel for his next special that he's making a million dollars off of. And, and it's all because he is in the system that he, he doesn't even really need. And, and so I find that to be a little um, disheartening. It, it truly feels like he's trolling America and making a million dollars every time. Uh, um, I hope I answered your question. But oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is it is a difficult kind of like um, as amorphous as a question as it is. Like it's difficult to be able to satisfy everyone with like an answer. Mm -hmm. So like I, I, I like I find like a lot of like my gripes with with Chappelle and like those kind of jokes is if your joke is the person it's not a good joke mm. if, if your joke is about a situation then that's something we can all kind of like come together and laugh and I'm like very specifically that's my kind of humor but I'm like that's that's where I like fall on the line of it so uh I I literally just watched uh Inland Empire so I I wanted to kind of <laughs> ask about this um following on from like Jordan Peele and uh directors who are like making waves in spaces like horror and comedy what genre would you want to blend comedy with it's definitely uh science fiction and uh inland empire is a short that i co-wrote and co-starred in with a good friend of mine named ian abramson we met in high school in california we moved to chicago at the same time to pursue comedy and he uh is very funny he he did a set on conan uh years ago back in conan still had a late night show where he put a, a dog shock collar around his neck and handed the controls to someone in the audience. So they literally shocked him whenever they didn't like a joke. Brilliant, oh, funny yeah. guy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some of you listening might know that there is a David Lynch film called Inland Empire, yeah. but we are from the Inland Empire. David Lynch just named that film Inland Empire because he, he thought the name was interesting. But we are from this, like I grew up in LA, then in middle school, I moved to this uh, further out region known as the Inland Empire that's all desert land and it's not much to do. The, the best, you know, the most fun I had with my friends was wandering the super Walmart, that kind of thing. And uh, we wanted to <laughs> make this film about essentially like trying to, uh, to highlight how strange this area is. And also as a thought experiment of what our lives might be like had we never left to pursue comedy. Um, and we shot this as it's, it's a short film that, was, that also served as a, a pilot presentation. We, we had this whole backstory for, for everything that, that dove into a more sci-fi realm. It's, it's definitely pretty surreal to watch. Um, and yeah, we were, we were very, very happy with it. And I think creating that, um, sparked uh my interest in in going further into to writing things that are comedic and also have a, a science fiction bent 
there is like such a beautiful kind of like insidious absurdism to Inland Empire that I was just I was very tickled by just like <laughs> the the fact that like no one questions it and just kind of gets on with it is mm, <laughs> chef kiss like yeah because that's what it was like like there there was constantly weird things because this is a region that it used to be um uh an area that uh was like a military town because there's there's an air force base there and it's uh there, you know, it's not, it's normal to see someone riding a, a horse around there. And then there's a, a lot of people are moving from the cities in LA to, to this region as well. So it's like everything from like ex gang members to cowboys to, uh, <laughs> 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 and all that stuff combined in this wide terrain. Um, and the, trust me, if you look up, like I'm from the, the area we're in is called Marino Valley. The politics there is so strange. And there's it's and now it's a, it's like a warehouse town is like it's Skechers factories. And the only jobs really that are that people can get are like working in like an Amazon factory, that kind of thing. So this was like we, there were so many things we want to if this were ever to become a show down the line that we wanted to tackle in in that series. Rem? Um, okay, well, I feel like you kind of answered this before, um, in that a lot of your work that you're kind of doing on the Jimmy Fallon show was, um, not in Remote. person, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, I think we watched the Mindy Kaling's, um, late night film and that was just, mm. I don't know, it was very interesting, um, and yeah. intriguing and I was just wondering what it's like to work, maybe not even just the Tonight Show, but like even Comedy Central, what is that? What is it like to work for like a big platform? Like I, platform's not the right word, but like a big <laughs> well, well, like late night I can say is uh, it's very intense. It's there's a show happening every day, and you can plan in advance as much as you want, but it, it's always like I don't know. You're thinking about something that you have going on next week. You're thinking about something you have going on ne the next day, and you're thinking about something that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely like a it's like a submarine. The efficiency that you have to have. Um, and starting out, uh, when Jimmy Fallon was in his house making the show, uh, leading up to the show being at its normal audience, no normal studio with an audience, I feel like I wrote for five different versions of a late night show. And there, there's so many skills that I, that I gained from that. But, um, as a sketch writer, there's so much, um, there, you know, you're pitching ideas. If uh, if an idea of yours goes forward, then you are the point person for wardrobe, for the graphics team, for, you know, if, if the roots are involved, you have to get them on board. Uh, uh, there's there's so many things. So it's, uh, it's a great way to learn. And I just think I experience it in the most twilight zone of situations that I haven't um, truly, uh, <laughs> truly processed it. Um, and it was while I was working there that uh, that I that I initially pitched uh, Maurice on Mars to Comedy Central, um, and it was just that strange time where everyone's at home, uh, and then there's the murder of George Floyd, uh, and I remember that that happened probably three weeks into me starting for writing for this night show, mm -hmm. and so you know the next day I open up Zoom and I realize oh. I am the only black writer on the show right now. And, and uh, that was like a truly surreal, I mean, we've all heard about being the only black person in the room, but being the only black person in a Zoom is a, a very different uh, uh, reality and the nuances of things to, to uh, you know, to keep your job, but also, uh, you know, be the black person that everyone wants in that moment. Um, uh, and... Yeah, it was the clearest that I could see our uh, reality in that the world is on fire, there's a social reckoning, and now billionaires are flying into space. Because I remember it was like during <laughs> the height of these protests, it was like the day after Donald Trump was like publicly stating he was going to, you know, bring the National Guard onto the protesters, uh, the first private, you know, space shuttle, SpaceX, Elon Musk's thing flew into space. And I was like, it's all so clear. It's all just, yeah. it's, it's like literally, you couldn't even write this the, the way that, what, what, what we're seeing right now. Um, 
And that all happened at the perfect time where when I learned that Comedy Central was looking for, you know, people of color, it was that time when every media come, every black writer I know is getting general meetings, you know, uh, uh, I kind of combined everything that I had been thinking about into this story called Maurice on Mars. And it's been two years in the making. It's finally out now. And I'm excited for people to see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it always just kind of strikes me like really like breaks my like brain when you'll like pop on the news and you'd be like we've been writing this sci-fi very specific (laughs) sci-fi story for 30 40 years how are we how are we actively what what is this like (laughs) yeah yeah it's frustrating it's surreal i think that you know things i am noticing a change i don't know um, I guess we can talk a little bit about um, Maurice on Mars. Um, we have seen the first episode. It was really good. Um, you spoke actually a little bit just now in regards to everything that's happening in the world and sort of the relevancy um, of this show. I just wanted to know, like, where where was this conceptualised? Was this something that you kind of fought up as a result of everything that's going on, like with George Floyd or COVID, or was this kind of an idea that was floating around in your head before that? I mean... I love Death and Robots season three just came out and I guess that was and even in the older seasons the general like theme is always humans bad you know robots mm. take over um so yeah is this is this an idea that kind of has always been in your head that you've over the years kind of just been thinking about or did you think like now as as everything was going on boom it just kind of appeared to you in a dream one night is it almost <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's an idea that that uh had been in my head in various stages. Like I've always been, I think Mars is the perfect symbol in science fiction or has been for a long time where it's either a threat a la, you know, Mars attacks Mm. or an opportunity for peace in these sort of utopic concepts. Um, And I I think my first introduction to that was Ray Bradbury. I I remember in his uh, book, he in the Martian Chronicles, which is a combination, it's just like a series of short stories. I forget the name of the story, but it's essentially about, and this is revolutionary when it came out, especially being something written by a white sci-fi author. It was about these black people in the South, in the American South, uh, who are just fed up with everything they have to deal with. And so they all pitch in and build a rocket, <laughs> a rocket to Mars. <laughs> uh and i and i loved it i haven't read it in a long time i actually tried to to i downloaded the that book onto my ipad a couple of days ago and i was shocked that that story just isn't on there at least in the downloadable version which feels like a very fahrenheit 451 yeah i did she was just saying i was like um i've got that on my shelf as well <laughs> uh yeah, like Ray Bradbury is my my guy. My Twitter handle is Tim Barnes four five one because yeah. of that. I call it the temperature at which jokes burn. Um, and then he also had the short story called The Other Foot in the Illustrated Man, which is another collection of short stories yeah. where it's about these uh, black people have been on Mars. They left Earth and they've been on Mars for about twenty years. Uh, meanwhile, World War Three happens on Earth and every there's nothing but destruction. And then one lone rocket goes from Earth to Mars with a with a, a white man on it, and everyone, no one. It's like a debate amongst the people on Mars. Like, what do we do? Or do we like some people just want to see it to see the spectacle? They, they like these kids who grew up on Mars have heard legend of white people. Uh, <laughs> you know, some people are you know want to uh, you know see what they have to say, and other people are saying no, we have to to stop this right now. And it's about issues like that. Um, and Mars itself started to solidify in the last like four years as something that is just definitely going to happen. I started maybe as a thought experiment, just saying, okay, how do I think about this? If I, if I believe, and I kind of do believe in the next 20 years, it's a concrete fact that just people and industries will, will be on Mars. And so what does that do to religion? What does that do to culture? What does that do to race? Um, and this would be like something I would bring up, you know, a couple beers in with my friends at the bar like okay what happens to to christianity on a on mars where everything we're talking about in this book happened on a planet that, that no one you know no one has been to that kind of thing um and then i vaguely had this 
this uh, visual thing of like, of I would love to make a short film or, or write a short story about just a, a corner store, a lone corner store on Mars <laughs> uh, and the people who walk in and out of it and, and why, what they're, I don't know, just something like that, almost like a clerks, but on Mars for some reason. Uh, and then when everything happened in, in 2020, um, and I had the opportunity to to focus my attention and 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 come up with a concept. It just all poured out into into what Maurice on Mars is. I'm I'm excited to see the rest of the season. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, <me too. laughs> um, uh, yeah. There, there's two more episodes. Um, I, I, yeah, there's three episodes total. Episode two is about sports on Mars, and episode three is about the first recession on mars oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i've said it like a yeah, few times uh, i've said it a few times like on the show like usually the most compelling sci-fi for me is very human stories like told in like either absurd or like insane or grand kind of settings and like having like the like maurice mars like he's there serving coffee to to very <laughs> expected like 20 somethings like you, you the kind of people you'd expect to see in the coffee shop jars my brain a bit especially with kind of like how left the episode goes as well it's <laughs> mm, it's very good but it, thank it, you thank you um i i i'm curious like what uh i i kind of went for this concept of this takes place in a vague future like it's not a specific uh date that i have on anything and I'd love for it to seem like this could be a concept. This could be a show that came out in 1970 somehow, and this is their concept of the future, or it came out in 1980, and this is their concept of the future, or it came out now, and this is their concept of the future. It's like there's <laughs> there's like one of my favorite things about reading old school sci-fi is like the really hopeful yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at the future, <laughs> where they'll be like in the distant year of 1999 <laughs> it's like, mm, yeah like, no no um yeah and the, yeah really like focusing on you know Richard Pryor years ago had a had, he commented on how he saw Logan's Run which is a movie that takes place in the future and he you know no black people in there I guess they didn't expect us to make it that kind of thing mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and so like really tackling it like Star, Star Trek doesn't comment like it's so aspirational in terms of race that it doesn't comment on earth race it comments on race with as these parables with a other aliens and that kind of thing star wars definitely doesn't tackle race in any concrete way and so it, what excited me was like how do you and not that maurice and mars is just about race but how do you tackle um concrete earth issues in a sci-fi setting and i think like Mars is the perfect uh, scenario for just like making it just abstract and just absurd enough, but still clear enough where you can see the absurdity of our, our, our own reality through it. Holding up the mirror. Just yeah. like, a... <laughs> yeah. Giving me a lot to think about. Cause I think we talk a lot about um, like just black people in the future and how we usually don't exist. Like where big fans of like Afrofuturism and stuff, but even just down to um, when I did my dissertation, <laughs> this is really nerdy, but um, I was playing Mass Effect and obviously my character was a black character and it just made me think about like the way that I experienced the game. Um, even though they had loads of talk about race and stuff, the fact that Shep my shepherd was a black woman that kind of changed the certain like decisions mm. that I would make within like the game or like how I viewed race itself. Um, so I think, um, yeah, it's always exciting to see more work that kind of grapples with um, black people, not on earth, black people in the future, black people in space. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah. yeah, it seems like it's oddly impossible to be black and neutral, right? It's like, mm. if you, even if you just replace one, you know, uh, I, I don't know, it's just like a, or at least in the, the context of the cultures that we've grown up in, it's difficult to, to have that feeling of, of black being the default or black being, being neutral. And so sometimes I think, you know, if, if uh, Grand Moff Tarkin was just played by a black actor, there's so many other things that we would add, you know, into seeing him on screen in that, in that way, um, that just, it just changes the context of things. 
Uh, I know a lot of people are talking about uh, um, Moses Ingram playing Riva mm-hmm. in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. And uh, I have this podcast that I co-host with these other t- comedy writers, uh, Greg Iwinski and Jim Fagan called Yub Nub. And we were talking about that. And there's that um, the scene where in episode two of, of Obi-Wan Kenobi, where the Grand Inquisitor is talking to Riva and saying, we got you out of the gutter and that kind of thing. And it's kind of impossible not to mm-hmm. feel some layers of, of earth racial issues uh, in, a, in a scene like that. And um, I think that's, that's the power of, of science fiction. And I think this is kind of the first time that Star Wars is playing with um, layers like that. I think the only other time I've kind of felt anything like that is, was when you know, Darth Vader screws over Lando in Empire Strikes Back. That felt like a very, very black moment. <laughs> where he's like are you are you not happy with the deal that kind of thing like mm. yeah you just can't win lando i'm hoping they've learned from the star wars trilogy because i just forget that john Boyega's in it in fact yeah I've just, I've just removed him from being yeah. Yeah. it makes me so angry yeah yeah, yeah it feels like uh, especially because that was such a global box office thing and they're you know they're trying to make people appease people in china and all that kind of thing that there was just this fear of letting uh, Finn be a fully uh, capable three-dimensional character. <laughs> and I, it, it's, I could see it like, you know, I'm sure that there were meetings about should Ray and Finn fall in love mm-hmm. and what will, how would that affect everything? Will there be protests? Will, you know, <laughs> will it be, will, will a kiss be cut uh, when it's aired somewhere or something like that? Uh, it's, yeah crazy dangerous territory somehow it's jarring that the easier choice is the racist choice Mm. (laughs) (laughs) like it it blows my brain like every time i kind of think about it like the fact that there's like specific cuts and there's like posters that literally won't be shown in countries yeah Yeah. or people being minimized anyway let's not talk about yeah (laughs) we don't have enough time (laughs) oh my god Um, we are massive fans of animated shows, um, and I think that's another thing that made Maurice and Mars so enjoyable as well. Um, and I think also animated comedy, just like, especially now that we're arriving in like a time where we don't just see animation as like something for children. Um, I, I guess I wanted to know what made you go for like animation as a style, as opposed to like doing a comic strip or, mm. I mean, live action would be really expensive, but <laughs> opposed yeah. to, like, why animated instead of anything else? Uh, I, my girlfriend loves animation and I, I used to be so hesitant about watching Like, if like I'm an adult, I don't watch animation. <laughs> I slowly uh, eased into it. And, you know, Rick and Morty, of course, is very fun. Uh, I really love the show Close Enough that's um, yes, yeah there. it's yeah, so yeah. funny and, and weird and it's like a i feel like that that is like the best example of like modern adult uh animation um but it, i made it animated because um it was like the specific thing comedy central was looking for people to to specifically make something animated and i had been leading up to that experimenting with with like making comics with a friend of mine named grant lindahl who He's uh, this great illustrator, great animator. He created this series for Comedy Central called Tales from the Trip, where people just tell uh, stories about crazy acid and shroom experiences. And he animates all this, this acid style stuff. Uh, so uh, he reached out to me when the pandemic sort of first hit and it was impossible to do stand up about wanting to collaborate on something. And I was like, oh, maybe, you know, a web comic would be a great way to just like consistently make something comedic uh, when it's impossible to do open mics and that kind of thing. So I created this web series with him called Uncertain Life, which is a character that is like essentially me in random, weird, uncertain situations. It's, it's probably similar to the Inland Empire short <laughs> in, in some ways. Um, and I learned a lot from it of just like, we, we whittled it down to like having a good system of like, every issue should just be about four panels. So how do you tell a joke or a, a full story in four panels is an interesting challenge. Um, and I think I answered your question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the question again? Sorry. Um, just why animation um, oh. in general. But you can okay. elaborate. Yeah. You, d- you did answer the question. So. <laughs> um, 
I'm gonna let one of you guys. Yeah. Um. Just in regards to kind of bringing this show to life, obviously, um, you've worked with Comedy Central before. How how was it in terms of putting like all from beginning to end of the process? Was it kind of helped a bit through your connections? Uh, were there any rules in regards to what you can and can't do? Was there anything? that you wanted to put in the show that essentially you may have had to cut or was you kind of given the reins to do what you wanted essentially? I was given a lot of, of leeway and I think some of that came from having worked with a lot of people at Comedy Central uh, when I worked there previously. So there's a level of comfort with me. Um, I'm also like, my standup is very like sneak attack uh, yeah. and a lot of my writing is a little <laughs> sneak attack. So I know how to kind of, I know when to kind of duck for cover and how to make, uh, I'm, I'm all about, you know, subtle impact, I think is how you could describe my comedy. So <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> there was never like any like overt, like it, I know when to make something so subtle where maybe it's just something that will just make me laugh and no one else. Mm-hmm. So there was nothing like, so like major, like we cannot do this in this, <laughs> in this cartoon. Um, so Let's see, they, they greenlit the concept. Um, and then uh, I actually wrote five scripts and they, they chose, and I really do think that these three episodes are the strongest of those five. But so I, I wrote a, the first draft of five, uh, five minute episode scripts. So, fi- and it, this is, was, uh, I tried to pack as much as I could in these episodes. Like this, this first episode that, that you guys saw that you all saw is uh, five minutes long, but I, it's like I wanted to explain the scenario that Maurice is in, explain what Mars is like, explain why he is the only person who notices these connections between Mars and Earth, make it funny, make it have a beginning, middle, and end, it, uh, introduce all these characters in one, <laughs> one five-minute episode. Um, so that... Um, that was a little tough, but I, yeah, I sent, uh, sent in those first five. They uh, gave, gave some feedback, made another draft. I think there might've been another round of, of that sort of thing. Then uh, they picked the three. Uh, uh, we ended up working with this animation studio called Cartoona, uh, a combination of the words cartoon and, and tuna, uh, as in the tuna fish. And uh, <laughs> uh, I was excited to work with them because they had, uh, uh, worked on a wide variety of, th- of things and I knew that they could like focus on you know honing a specific different animation style and when I had been uh, creating this this webcomic uh, I had certain people on my radar that was like I love the way this guy draws stuff or I love and there's this uh, uh, webcomic creator and a very talented illustrator named Uche who has this uh, webcomic called Vibe Check that I love uh, and I was like, can we please get this guy on board somehow? And luckily we were able to get him on board to um, design the characters. And um, there was like a feedback process of that. Like, you know, deciding Maurice's look, I initially didn't want him. And I, I was never like confident that I would voice Maurice, but I, I do. And I kind of didn't want Maurice to look like me. Uh, <laughs> But it, he kind of did. And um, especially because like that web comic that I was telling you about, that character kind of looks like me. I think I got to get away from characters that look <laughs> like me going forward. But there was like, how old should he look? I was like, I want him to be, you know, detached. And so like the, the first version of Maurice, he looks like like a caveman or something. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see so that. I was like, no, let's make him, let's make him young. Uh, innocent but but also extremely skeptic skeptical uh and there's a little bit of uh hey arnold in his his style with the way yeah. the hat is over his yeah. his hair um so the for that like i wanted a lot of what uche's natural animation style is and the the two paradigms that i was like i wanted to feel like a combination of hey arnold and like abstract and like unique but also this sort of realistic consistency of, of King of the Hill, which I think King of the Hill has just the greatest design of these characters where I will watch an episode of that show and feel like I'm not watching a cartoon and I'm not watching cartoon characters. There's something strange about that show where they just, they really come to life. Um, and then uh, the production of, of, uh, of, of, of cartoons is, we've you know we narrowed down the cast and so we have Lori Beth Denberg as Maurice's 
boss beta. Um, we have this uh, SNL writer, Claire O'Kane, who uh, is his Maurice's coworker, Janice. We have this uh, amazing, brilliant comedian, uh, Dwayne Kennedy, who voices the, the, the guy who's always reading a different book, uh, Joe. He's a coffee shop regular, always has funny little comments. Uh, Ashok Kondabolu plays this Martian hipster named Alistair. And uh, uh, Sean White, another funny comedian, not the, not the snowboarder, uh, he voices this, <laughs> this uh, ominous character who's a combination of Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and uh, who's the other one? Richard Branson. And his name is Braxton Tusk. <laughs> that is that is uh, not a flattering yeah, combination. So, you know, we, we shipped them microphones, uh, recorded their audio separately. Uh, then uh, there was a, a first edit of the radio plays. And then I gave notes on that. And there was a second edit. And then once the radio play is locked, you get some, some illustrators to, to make storyboards. And then those are cut into an animatic. That's the, the storyboards laid over the radio play. So you get a concept of, of how things will play out in the animation. Give notes on that. The, the animatic gets locked, then it's shipped off to the animators, get the first draft of that, give some notes, say, can this person blink or something, or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's been a, it's, I've learned so much from this and I've gained so much respect for animators. And um, I really, really enjoy the process. And um, it's, it's just all about, you know, trying to be as specific as you can uh, make it as great as you can with, with whatever limitations and then, you know, being able to accept when it's, when it's done, uh, and now it's done. And I hope, uh, hope people like it. How, how was this, uh, stacked against, um, doing like in real life, like sketches and like, uh, like short films, like how, how is it recording rather than just actually being there in the flesh? Uh, it's 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 interesting. It really is like I felt like I was in a bit more of the quote unquote director's chair with this. Um, and I mean, it's similar to sketch in the just like the writing part and the length of the episodes was not dissimilar to the length of like writing, uh, you know, one full sketch for a sketch show like all that or or, Nick, or, uh, or Saturday Night Live or something like that. Um, but I thought that I knew who the characters were. And then sometimes I would hear a person's voice and then there would be the spark of like, no, this is who the character is. And so now that I'm thinking about it, like I think the character design came, that was happening at the same time that we were recording people's audio. So that even affected the character design in some ways, like hearing the, the reads that these actors had on, the, on, on these roles. Um, yeah, it, it was it was just like a it, uh, it, it was just like fun to explore and to to see how people would would ad lib. Uh, Dwayne Kennedy had the best ad libs ever. Like so, like even in uh, episode one where he says, "Look at that, another brother." And uh, yeah. <laughs> that was that was him. That was him just in the moment. We're like, okay, what would you what would you say, Dwayne Kennedy, if you saw a black man get put in a jar? And that's what he came up with on the spot. He's just one of the greatest comedians ever. Uh, he has like a like a classic uh, Comedy Central special that came out years ago, and uh, just the perfect voice. I think he should be a household name. He's just is that funny. Um, oh, I guess I'll ask my next mm. question. Um, we've only seen one episode so far, um, and I I always find it interesting, like who when you've written something, who you kind of like gravitate towards. Obviously, you said Maurice was like kind of modeled a bit on yourself um but who was your favorite character to either to write or just to to have in the show if that makes sense uh really it really is um it has to be joe the Dwayne kennedy character that i, that I was just talking about he uh or, or i guess i'm saying more than that i just i think i really like I just have a lot of love for that character and I see a lot of uh, potential for, for him if, if the show were to ever expand or become something on, on its own. Um, Beta also, uh, that was my... <laughs> yeah, Beta is a character that 
Um, I have a backstory for Beta in my mind that I, it's, I, this has put me in the position that, uh, that I've always wanted my whole life. Uh, the position of being somewhat similar to whatever position George Lucas was in, mm. where he can just have an idea. <laughs> and i'm not saying i'll ever get there but if this were to be a show it is it is a it is a strange feeling of being able to walk in a room and just say no this character does this because you just have this this concept of something that you've never said out loud to anybody about the backstory of someone and then you you have you have the power to walk in a room and say oh they would never do that because they're actually half uh you know something from another from another planet or something uh, like are you are you saying beta is your judge or binks it's just i think i think uh beta is a is a character that i would love to explore a number of things when it comes to like robots and humans and what is it what does it mean that we like to place gender and uh per- personality on robots um, a, a self-hating robot, a robot that wishes it was, <laughs> that it was human and does not in any way want to be identified with other robots. Um, there, it, it, Beta is just sort of everything I've ever like explored in my comedy in one, you know, toaster-shaped, uh, floating uh, uh, piece of technology. <laughs> I think that's why I would say drawn to them because I. I, I feel like I could feel the backstory. I was like, what, yeah. is, <laughs> what is the deal? What is this? Like, what? What's going on? Um, would you, would you say yeah. the backstory is debatable? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been sitting on that for like 10 minutes. Like, <laughs> You're just waiting for the button. I was like, oh, I need to say the button. <laughs> well, see, I feel like now you've been validated because sometimes I don't laugh, but like you made an actual comedian laugh, so... That's all that really matters. I've done it. Yeah. I've made it. Yeah. <laughs> pinnacle, just remember this next time. I just like completely blank face. Yeah, we have to acknowledge the puns now. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do a one hour special of just puns, just for you guys. You're welcome. <laughs> wow, that's already a great title. Just puns, just for you guys. You're welcome. That's, I, would, I would, I would click on that. If I'm ever not terrified of doing something like that, I'll let you know. Like. <laughs> The, so the sci-fi element I mean I think you know com- comedy always is at its best when it kind of derives from whatever kind of genre it's picking from and I do think it works uh, very well in this scenario um, how hard was it to kind of balance the genres did you ever feel like you wanted to prioritize sci-fi and have a bit of comedy there or just literally have like a comedic take on sci-fi elements. Um, how, how, how was it in regards to finding that balance? And also in regards to your sci-fi, you know, we know you have a, a Star Wars podcast. I'm some of a Star Wars fan myself. Um, what sort of, were there other particular sci-fi worlds or, you know, works that you drew from in regards to creating this show? Um, I, I don't, I, I think what's funny to me is being in a sci-fi world and not commenting on it. And especially when I was, when I was writing this and as like the stages of production and like design of the backgrounds and what buildings look like, um, I started to in my mind uh, do this thing where it's like, I know what I don't want it to be. And I know what I don't want people to say about it. Like, I don't want people to say, oh, this is just doing Futurama or, oh, this is just Bob's Burgers on Mars or <laughs> something like that. Uh, and I felt, and I, you know, I was thinking about Futurama, I was rewatching Futurama and I realized Futurama has done everything you can imagine about the future <laughs> in a cartoon. And I don't think that this show is necessarily about the future. It's really about right now, just in a in a nebulous futuristic. So I don't think there's going to be much of like, uh, I mean, I guess, I suppose, you know, Maurice sings the song war in this song, but it's not going to be too many like (laughs) pop culture references or, you know, things like, oh, that reminds me of, you know, the kind of what Futurama did um, or does. I know it's coming back. Um, The Star Wars inspiration was I love 
Star Wars uh, uh, A New Hope, the one, the original that came out in 1977 is my favorite Star Wars movie because it it's like a balance of camp and seriousness and it has a beginning, middle and end where you can just, you can just watch this movie and never think about any other Star Wars movie. You saw it start, you saw it end and that's it. The hero saves the day, everyone but Chewbacca gets a medal. Uh, but I, I've always loved how that movie starts off in the middle of something like you feel like you missed a first movie the way it starts you're in the middle of a battle people are talking about um you know the empire and like you're, you're kind of catching up as you're watching it and so i wanted an element of that in maurice on mars where it's like it's not you're not really seeing the build up to him getting there you're just there and you kind of have to catch up to all the trappings of what it what it means to be on on mars um i'm trying to think of of uh anything else in particular i think i am always like um soaking in information and i love science fiction but i think um and i think a lot of writers might be this way where you you, you don't want to uh pull in too many uh <laughs> outside things while you're in that writing process because it can you you get into that sort of comparison mode or you, you want, I wanted it to feel like it was just coming from a, a genuine space and then uh, kind of answered questions as they, as they came into formulating the world. <laughs> it, it was super cool. It was super, super cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, yeah, I did also really like that it did feel like we were starting in the middle of something and I had to like adjust myself to the one. <laughs> also, even just the moment where like they're talking to his parents and his parents are just like all the stuff that was happening. Like, I was like, oh, okay, that's a situation on our. Okay, cool. We don't need to look at that on that angle. Um, so yeah, no, it was um, really loved it. Um, I guess um, one question that we always try to ask on this show um, to people who are talented, such as yourself, is what advice would you give to um writers that are or writers and comedians who are like coming up um in terms of I guess getting your work out there but also it's quite difficult to I think well personally sometimes you can like write something but it's quite difficult to get it to a point where either you're ready to show someone or you don't know how to show someone so what what um yeah what advice would you give to people who are um trying to make it (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah I think like finding a community is is like the most important thing and that's what I loved about stand-up when I got into it is like you need community in order to to enter this world and it is very social uh for people who you know want to get into stand-up in particular I think my best advice would be to just start going to a few open mics without going on stage just mm-hmm. to get a sense of like what you like about what certain comedians are doing, what you don't like, getting a sense of the process of putting your name in the hat or whatever to, to get on stage and figuring out who you want to, like who, it's, it's just like high school in the cafeteria, who do you wanna hang out with? Uh, and, uh, you know, just get that courage to, to do the first open mic set, uh, you know, and the key to an open mic is no one, really remembers anyone who does bad unless you do something like horribly, you know, I don't know if they throw up on stage or something. Everyone's so focused on (laughs) their own material. Everyone's so focused on themselves that, um, you know, if it's a decent uh, stand-up community, like truly no one is going to remember something that didn't get a laugh. People will remember something that did get a laugh. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's really, it's all kind of in your head when you're starting out in terms of like, it's it's called an open mic because it's impossible to fail. Mm-hmm. You're not at an act, you're not at an actual show, and so once you realize that, like maybe you let yourself down, but don't you know you can always get back there and and start you know building. You know usually you want to build a, a solid five minute set when you start out. Um, in terms of writing, I entered the the writing world through just like a combination of of so many things like I was already doing stand-up I was a you know I was a podcast producer and a video editor and doing stuff like that and I used to feel pretty embarrassed about that actually I feel like I wasn't a you know a complete stand-up comedian a heart you know Mm -hmm. um but especially when I started writing for the tonight show and 
when you realize what it actually means, like if you want to go beyond being a staff writer and to being a showrunner or something like that, it's all of these skills combined. Everything you learned about scheduling when you're a podcast producer or, <laughs> or editing, you know, knowing how to do these things makes it better for you to, you know, communicate with an editor about something that you were creating, you know, for yourself. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's all about focusing on, on what you want to do and kind of um, making sure that you take notes of whatever step you're taking to get closer to that. Um, I know this is like very generic uh, <laughs> kind of thing, but, um, and you know, Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, it's, these are phenomenal things. It's, it's kind of like evened the playing field and there are so many uh, funny TikToks that I see and <laughs> that are like mind boggling to me, even just like, how did you edit that? how did you come up with this idea? You know, how'd you just build up the, you know, uh, the adrenaline to, to, <laughs> to, to, uh, to make this thing on your own without anyone, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, it is, you know, everything, everything is at your disposal. So you, you can make a short film with your camera. I think like people don't think of their phones as a camera anymore, but it's this magical device. You can make that podcast. You can start tweeting jokes and building traction that way. And um, these things can become your resume. I think that people uh, who are staffing for shows and stuff, they would, they love to see things that you've created on your own that they can, they would rather watch something that you've made that's really funny than read it, I think. Mm -hmm. And so, so, you know, keep that, keep that in mind as well. Um, I can kind of trail off into this, this, this rambling for hours. So you really have to tell me when to stop. <laughs> I, I'm, I forget that I'm like actually here doing the podcast. I'm just like, no, go on, go on. I'm, I'm here. Like, um, I guess we haven't actually said where, you can find Maurice and Miles. Um, so I guess this is your moment to let off. I mean, we've already given us given it the badge of approval. So I feel like everyone <laughs> listening should just go watch it anyway. But um, where can they watch it? Yes, um, you can you can find it on uh, Comedy Central's animated YouTube channel, uh, probably on Comedy Central's uh, Facebook. Just type in the words Maurice on Mars and see what it's it's probably gonna be this thing. And um, if you enjoy it, truly like one like, one share, one comment would, would go very far. And I really appreciate that. And I'm just gonna be honest, I want this to be a show. So um, help, help me make that happen, I guess. I don't know. Do it guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> glad to, glad to. And I just wanted to ask, is there anything else that uh, we should look out for coming from yourself outside of Maurice and Mars? Anything else I do have a few things. There's one thing that I cannot comment on right now, but that I'm um, excited about. And I am, we are, I am working on revamping uh, that Uncertain Life webcomic that I mentioned before. So that should be coming out uh, in a, probably like a month or so. Um, uh, but yeah, just follow me on uh, Twitter at Tim Barnes 451 the temperature at which jokes burn, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, you can find other stuff at timbarnscomedy.com and that kind of thing. Isn't it so annoying when people just, you know, list off their websites? No, no, no. I mean, the way of the we, world now. You, <laughs> with, with your whole chest, you plug, you plug away, dude. Let's go. <laughs> um, we, we, got, we got to do the same thing, to be fair. <laughs> I, 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 it's always me who does it, and I hate it. I, I, I'll, I'll do it. It's, it's, I, <laughs> Okay, you can find us on Twitter at The Nerd Alternative without the E. You can find us on Instagram and Reddit at The Nerd Alternative. You can listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, Podchaser, or any major podcast platforms. We also have a YouTube channel. So if you want to check out some of our bits, you can check it out there. Please do leave us a rate and review. Thank you very much. That was very smooth. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can unclinch now. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you for coming on, Tim. Um, yeah, we look forward to seeing where I'm I really hope that it gets made into a show because I think that there's like just so much, like even just in 
the kind of like five minutes that we watched like there was so much to like think about yeah and, but there mm. was also like a lot to laugh about and I think that seeing it as a like a full show is going to be I don't know amazing so yeah, thank you thank you yeah I'm actually just uh, just for fun I'm, I am currently writing like what would a 30 minute uh pilot of, of Marisa mm. Mars be um thank you so much this, this is a lot of fun if you ever want to have me back on I'd I'd love to um yeah. and I'll you know I'll probably you know suggest when I hear about projects that friends of mine have uh, suggest that they join you on your on your podcast and uh keep keep going it's it's great thank you very um, very much yeah hey the pleasure's been all ours honestly like, <laughs> yeah. awesome awesome yeah. I appreciate it um okay. enjoy your your tea and crumpets I don't know <laughs> <laughs> that was a coffee i was drinking <laughs> i'm the tea person. yeah she's the tea person okay. and i'm the crumpet